If you want to get stuff done, this bloke is the guy to talk to. Former fighter pilot Christian Boo Bukowskis. He has a wonderful way of looking at life that involves planning, execution, and a debrief. His no-nonsense way of getting stuff done will help everyone, and I think you're going to enjoy this one. Some is it good being you, mate? It, it is. It's. it's uh, I'm, I've got no complaints. I was just thinking the other day, as uh, one of these really weird moments in life. I was driving home. I've got a. We, I live in Sydney and I have a farm about three hours south of here. I was driving home on a particularly wet day, and a wombat came out on the road. And uh, wow. it was one of those scenarios where it's like, do you get out of the way or do you hit it? And um, uh, being a fairly uh, human-centric or uh, touchy-feely type, I was like, oh, I'm not going to hit the wombat. I'm not so sure the like, wombat's going to do your car any favours either. They're no. so little bits of unit. They're not, they're, they're not they're doing big, your car any favours. Yeah. yeah. So harnessing, harnessing, you know, digging back into the into the recesses of my fighter pilot rapid decision-making brain, <laughs> I, uh, I thought, oh, you know, I'll get out of the way. Get a bit of a get a bit of a skid in the in the car, correct? And and I, I managed to mostly stay on the road, hit the wombat at about five k's an hour, and not hit the tree that was in front of me. Right, and, uh, and watch the wombat, you know, waddle off. Uh, and in that in that, it was just one of those moments, and I've had this on a few occasions, you know, and I can talk about that later. But it's one of those things where very very easily could have slipped off, hit a tree, and, and that would be it. You know, yep. life life over. One and, live um, wombat, had, one dead boot. Yeah, exactly, and uh, and one live wombat, um, and you know, and then I thought about it, and, and in that moment, I thought, you know what, I, I'm, I would be okay with that. I I don't feel like I haven't left a rock unturned. I don't feel like I've made excuses for myself and my life. I've put myself out there. I've done the I've done the rock face free climb with 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 the way that I've lived my life, and I'm I'm happy. I think that you know my I have a, my kids would have a good story to tell. Yeah, you know, I just felt at that point in time if something had gone the other way, yeah, despite all this, the negativity that comes with, you know, dying yeah. and all the unhappiness and sadness and grief, like fundamentally, I've, I'm happy that I lived my life. I've, You've had I'm, a pretty good life. I've lived it well. Geez, we've gone dark early, mate. Well, you asked me, <laughs> so just, happy, just so happened that you know I nearly. Yeah! Wow. <laughs> Just but it, timing, timing with, with with regard to that story. It's um, a it's a great thing though to be able to sort of say, you know, I've loved being me, and it's you know I've had a good life, and you know I want to have another forty years, but if I don't, it's been pretty good fun. Yeah, and it was you know I I, I don't necessarily perceive it as dark. I, I found it quite uplifting in terms of you know that's 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 when things like that happen, and and the other four times I was in the air force, right, and uh, and when you're flying. Uh, and I was in the UK at the time. There's a lot of aeroplanes flying around very fast, and often, you know, two of them come very close to each other, and and that happened to me on three occasions. And and you think, and 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 you just think, in that moment, that sliding door could have gone a completely different way. There was nothing apart from universal intervention that put that three feet between me and another airframe closing at two, two and a half thousand kilometers per hour. Wow! And and, and we didn't touch. And and so from there it's like, oh, I've got a free pass now. Uh, I've yeah, got to make the okay. most of it. And it happened again, and it just reminds you. I mean, you you're a human being, and you forget about all that stuff, right? And you get mm-hmm. you get caught in the grind. And um, but but I'm lucky to have those moments uh, where I can say, hey hey, dude, it's getting you down. 
you know, you feel like you're grinding it out, but don't forget, this is a free day. This is a free pass um, yeah. because of that. So, uh, so yeah, mate, that's, I think that's the thing about living a rich life. You put yourself in positions where you, you, you touch some extremes and it, it gives you great perspective to live the, to live the, the in-between parts of life. Life's not a movie. Right? We, we watch a movie and we go, Wow, that person had an amazing life. I mean, the movies they they leave all the shitty parts out. <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit it's a bit like social media, isn't it? We leave the shitty parts out. We only actually get to see the highlight reel of of uh, other people's lives. Absolutely, um, that, and that's a great point. Uh, which which I guess puts the humanity at a bit of a uh, people say crisis point. I don't I don't believe that. It just puts us at an interesting decision point. I think, um, mm. but I think also with humans are pretty smart, uh, and I think when we we, we we bite off on these new things. We see this social media. We and then we start to realize we're being duped a bit by it, and yeah. be, we hate that, right? Like if there's one thing that we hate as a mob, it's feeling like the wool's been pulled over our eyes. Mm-hmm. So I think that now that there's an awareness of it, it's going to be an interesting chapter as people start to drop out of it. You know, stop buying into it. People know it's just like watching TV now, right? Like an ad comes up on your social feed, it's just like watching. Um, you know, a Macca's ad on the telly. Um, it's just, that's just how things go. Yeah, there's a, I do a lot of work on on habits. And one of the things that we work out with habits is that we do them and at the start, they have a they have a reward to it. But eventually we just end up doing, doing the habit without getting the reward anymore. And I think social media is like that. You get that little dopamine hits at the start. Yeah. But the rewards go away after time. And then all of a sudden we're still doing them. And I think, I think we've got to get curious about that and say, what am I getting out of this? It's well, you you would be like me, mate. In that, you know, in in some respect, I owned a digital publishing business. Um, it was a print magazine that, uh, and we transformed it into a digital business. And and one of the main biggest tools we use to do that is social media. Right. And and when you if you do social media right, and you want to grow a business. There's a degree of manipulation in what you're doing and exploitation. Like there just is because the the data that the social media companies have, and if if you want to grow your business and spend the money. That, that's what you're doing. Um, and gamer of social media, you know what's going on. So I, I have this really love-hate relationship with it because I need it for my business, for people to consume my content and ideas. But at the same time, I know there's a lot of garbage that, that, that is in, in between that. Um, and I think where we have to get to, and I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm learning this as I go along as well, is you can filter your social media feeds. You can you can proactively do stuff to yeah, get sure. the right information there. It's just not intuitive. Um, and now that I've learned that and I've started to do it, you start to create these really high quality, high quality information feeds. So, um, yeah. But look, that's the world we live in, right? Like mm. I think someone said to me once. I said I don't like social media, and they're like, "Well, if you want to grow your business, you got to like it. So don't even, stop even thinking about it. It's just yeah. it's there. It's just, yeah, it's part of life. Use it." I don't, I don't like rain, but apparently sometimes it rains. You yeah. got, there's certain <laughs> things you, that you need that whether you like them or not. So t- tell me the story how you, you, you've transitioned from, from being a fighter pilot in the Air Force to now running, running leadership programs for companies. Tell, tell me about some of the things that you've, you've been able to sort of pick up from one of those parts of your world and take them to the other and how, how, that, how the story of that panned out for me. Mate. This, I think, this year is the anniversary of my forty-year journey of the fighter pilot going from a a, a spark in a six-year-old child's brain to still harnessing that 
job um, as a as a lifestyle and, and as a life. And I think I just am so passionate about aviation and, and flying. Um, the byproduct of that was you accidentally get taught some incredible um, mindset hacks and and thinking hacks, uh, and you you get those because of the environment that you operate in. Um, and one of the challenges for me is when you come from a rarefied atmosphere and you learn the value of, of decision-making, you learn the value of planning, you learn the value of um, listening versus talking, all those good habits that high performers have, when that's drummed into you, into your training as a fighter pilot, it's really hard now as a, as a, a leadership consultant to try and, and uh, well, it's not really a consultant, I'm not a consultant, as a, as a coach, as a mentor, is the ability to help people understand that there's just there's a much better way to do what you're doing right now there's where you're at right now we're we're really at phase one of the of the human evolution in terms of team-based execution what i love about what i do is when i'm lucky enough to find a high performing leader or or what i call a servant leader someone who realizes that there's someone else that can help them here either that leader be better or their team I get to come in and they invest in this in these programs for for like three months or up to a year, and at the end of those programs, you see this team and these individuals absolutely firing, yeah, you know, just, and the entire organisation that they're a small part of start to mimic their behaviour. And one of the really interesting journeys, in, and this is a, I work in two spaces, I guess. One is corporate, uh, three spaces, corporate in terms of coaching and mentoring events in terms of storytelling and entertainment and working with small medium enterprise and being a business owner myself uh, mm-hmm. so that there's these three spaces and it's fascinating because of the mindset in each in each one of those three uh, but when you see these when you see people mimic these these good behaviors you know at that point in time the return on investment for that company a billion dollar company has just increased exponentially so much so uh I was work. I spent three years working with a company that's in the top five, ASX, the top five ASX. They may even be the number one now. And today, after three years, they be, they are my biggest champions because anyone they they speak that's in their industry, they say, "Got to do this program." We did it. Yep. You know, we got we, we got our response rates from incidents from two days to two hours. We did this. We did that. We can't, I'm not going to use the, the language in their words because it's their yep. IP, but. But what it, what it created was this was this alignment and execution rhythm that they'd never had before to do a, to do an enormous multi billion dollar digital transformation, and had nothing to do with the the knowledge that the people had, the skills, their motivation. They're all good people, and and tens of thousands of good people. But what they didn't have was the alignment and and the the collective buy in for delivering on stuff. And once we created that. Everything, all of the inefficiencies and the frustrate, not all of it, obviously, we're human, so we will always find something to be inefficient or frustrated by. Mm-hmm. But we stripped away a lot of it. And, and all of a sudden, uh, it's like um, it's like a train leaving a state, like an old steam train. You know, you watch those movies and it's like, <coughs> yep. And as it comes out of the station, but once all they of get a, sudden, a bit of momentum up, it's off got they the go. momentum, it's going down. <laughs> and that's what it was like. It was just this, everything got faster. And, uh, I'm, I'm doing. I'm looking at kinetic energy, right? E, e equals mv squared. And when it comes to energy, it's not the size or the mass of what you have; it's the velocity of what you're doing that creates the energy. Um, so that's a that's for me. Is, is it's really how do you help individuals and, and teams of people 
create momentum and velocity because that is to the square of, of, of an effect. That's an ROI, which, with, which gives you a disproportionate outcome and for every dollar or minute of effort. It's this exponential curve. Yeah, um, nice. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's it's watching that strip away. I'm doing it now with another one, one of the country's big banks, doing it again. Um, and you just see it start to take and, 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 the, and the common sense kicks in and it's like, you know what, we have been, because we haven't really known what to do collectively, we've been doing our own thing and all the doing our own thing has done is create layers of complexity rather yeah. than all of us do, do the same thing. And it creates kind of silos of different people doing it certain ways and with certain priorities and all of that sort of stuff. So. Absolutely. And you know what? I love silos. People say, oh, we're too siloed. I, I love a good silo because a silo means you've got expertise. A deep silo means you are very technically competent at that one thing. Mm-hmm. What we don't do very well is join silos up to give a disproportionate effect. So if you, yep. you know, as, a, as, a, as a thought leader, you've got a silo, but you, you, a, n- a number of silos, but you can apply those silos very rapidly into any problem. Well, I actually did your program with Specsavers many years ago. And it's one of the things that you did is that you gave, you, you're in a group and you gave certain people certain bits of information and they weren't allowed to tell everyone what it was until it was their turn to, to kick in. And it was an amazing exercise to be able to sit there and sort of, I'm itching to tell people my, my thing, but I can't tell them until it's, <laughs> until you it's keep the it a time. secret. Yeah, you got to keep it a secret. And there, there was a beauty of it that you had. The two things I took out of that was to, we don't know what everyone else knows and to be really curious with that. And the other one you actually taught us about a thing called a red team. And I'd love you to take us through through what red teaming is and, and how that works to, to actually pull those silos together a little bit. As a fighter pilot, you're taught to do certain things. And a red team is like a check. So you do your planning, you, you invest all your work, and you, you, it, you're going from a phase of planning into execution, mm-hmm. doing. So from yep. thinking to doing. Uh, and one of the challenges with thinking as a team is you have this cognitive bias uh, um, which is called the confirmation bias. And, and mm-hmm. you just start to kind of ignore things and, and you start to believe each other's bullshit. Yep. Uh, and, and as you get closer to a deadline and, and things become more urgent, you, you, you close down even more. Mm-hmm. So before you transition into that execution phase, you get someone else who wasn't involved in the plan, but they know what you're doing. So just give you, have a one-way conversation. Have you thought about this? Why are you doing that? Did you look outside? It's foggy today. You can't even take off. And it's like, didn't even notice. It was too busy. Right. So, and red teams are designed to pick up the obvious errors that you lose when you become completely focused on a task. So, so I went on this bit of a journey and I was thinking cognitive bias. I want to learn a bit more about that. And then I st- then about confirmation bias. And then it said, it's a cognitive bias. And I thought, ah, I want to learn a little bit more about cognitive biases. Mm-hmm. I tell you what, mate, I opened the biggest can of worms. On oh, the it's a massive one. But there's co- there's confirmation bias, desirability bias, one hundred and seventy eight yeah, cognitive biases. They reckon on Wikipedia, one hundred and seventy eight, yeah. and every nope. single person has one of those. They're, they're like rabbits, though. There'll be one hundred and seventy nine tomorrow. Yeah, um, exactly right. Yeah, they're uh, they're everywhere, and the the uh, the one I really love is I don't have a bias bias. 
um, <laughs> that that you kind of think that you don't have it. Other people have them, but I don't. And it's just a complete myth that, yeah, we course, all have it. Of course them. there is. Yeah, Desirability absolutely. bias. I'm a massive optimist and I, I, I get sucked in by the desirability bias. I want this to be a certain way, so that's how it's going to be. And it's yeah. just... And the optimism That's- bias, mate. You'll always be, you'll always be setting targets and goals that are are very lofty and big, and and uh, and, and and struggle to get there because they are so lofty and big. Um, yeah, and, and you'll always re- you'll and because you've got you, you wake up in the morning feeling good, you, it won't get you down. But for other people that that don't necessarily have an optimism bias, ha- having those lofty goals can get them down um, because yeah. they need to they need to they need to win at a very small discrete every day kind of process so and that's where you know knowledge of this stuff at a i think what what i love about what we've done at afterburner and the, and the next book i'm writing now which is called the gid mindset a get it done mindset is nice it's it's about simplification it's always it always lands back context and 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 a simple question which is you know what's the point and and you know simon Sinek talked about the why and i i i think that's fundamental to everything why are we doing this uh, and you'd be amazed in in the corporate space when when we sit down and we start day one of planning and we say okay why do you exist how hard it is for people to answer that question yeah and wow. we spent we spend a lot of time unpacking that and and at a corporate level when you can un- yeah you know, corporates are big right so yeah if you're a bank and, and your job is to be you know a, a fantastic bank for your customers by the time you get down to employee number 23,844, yeah, their why is, becomes a little bit ambiguous. Yep. So, so spending time for everyone to figure out their why in the bigger picture is it, hugely motivating. It, it, it creates a lot of engagement. So I spent a lot of time with 200 people in a room, which would be the top you know, one or two levels of the leadership to help them to connect their why to the organization's why, but then the skill set to go away and help them, their teams figure it out as well. Uh, and, and another way of explaining that is that we've got big company numbers, but we need to know what our number is too. And if we hit our number, the company hits their number, we feel like we've added something to the equation. Okay. Uh, so it's a, there's a lot of talk about smart goals and productivity and all of these things, which everyone rolls their eyes at uh, and, and because it's just it just feels like more work, right? Yeah. But, but it the just feels like corporate true. waffle. Yeah. You got to, if you take work away from people and give them meaningful things to do instead, all of a sudden, not only do you create productivity, you create well-being, you create contentment, you create happiness, you create innovation. Uh, the GID mindsets, it's not about getting things done or stuff done or shit done. It's getting it done. And it is where the magic happens. It is your why. It's right. your purpose. It's and it is the is the two two or three things you need to do every day to get there. Otherwise, we do just get stuff done. We we just get things done. And when we're just doing things, we're not doing the thing. And 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 this because I spent a lot of time like deconstructing this. And I'm like, I read the books. I'm like, get shit done, get stuff done, getting things done. And I'm like, this is just about doing stuff, you know. And yeah, and doing stuff is tiring, you know. So- but how do we go about finding out what our is, what the it is? That's that's the investment. Yeah, right. What the, the investment? Once you've got that, and I was I was reading this this is this case study a couple of days ago. Uh, I was trying to uh, yeah 
one of the things I became acutely aware of is I was talking about high-performing people and high-performing teams, and this is what you do to be a high performer. And I was thinking, you know what? How do I? I don't think I've ever measured it. I, I don't. It's a. It's at the moment. It's just something that we say and, and people believe in. But so I just. I was just googling. I was and I was googling. How do you measure a high-performing person in a business? So I found this case study, uh, and I was trying to measure high performance, and it had six hundred thirty-eight thousand ish data points. It basically discovered that it doesn't matter what sector you're in, what level of the organization is, there's no one field or level, uh, whether you're the CEO or you're on the way through. It didn't matter, but high performers had 400% productivity compared to the average employee in a company, 400%. 400%. This is a case study. It's over 30 years of measuring. And, and I thought, why is this not like everywhere? Like yeah. if everyone could unlock the magic source of 400%, um, then uh, we, 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 everyone will be laughing. Uh, and I was, and I, was, <clears throat> I was thinking about how can I present that in a model, right? And, and you would know why I was doing that, yep. uh, to make it visually appealing. And I was, I was drawing stuff and I was like, look, it's pretty boring. And then I thought, hang on, you know what? The period from where we're 18 to 65, the, the productive period of our life where we're earning money, I thought that's, you know, that's around 50-odd years of time. Now, if you think about it, 400%, you could effectively live 200 years of productivity okay. in the same period of time if you can deliver that 400%, right? Now, clearly that was 400% productive in the workplace. So there's a bit of a rest period and when you're at home, et cetera, et cetera. So let's... Let's just say when it's all said and done, it's 100% extra. We can, dub- we can double it. Yeah. So double it, right? Yep. That's still another 50 years. Yeah. 50 years of time to do what you want to do just by adopting a high-performance mindset. And that's, that's where GID mindset comes from. It's unpacking now the, the, the thought process. So, you know, it starts here, obviously, mindset, and then you've got to do as well. So it's constantly connecting mindset and projecting into the future with doing today and then how do those links of resilience um tenacity all those uh, other elements of leadership and execution giving context to those because uh, one of the other problems is when, when you talk about resilience you know people are in a bad situation for two years that's not resilience that's stupid uh <laughs> yeah. Resilience is a resilience is a trough, and there's got to be a peak at the other side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, giving context to, to a lot of these buzzwords in terms of you know executing on it, achieving that life purpose, and and I'm pretty comfortable to talk to it because I achieved life goal number one at 20, when I was 21, flying fighter jets. That's that was yep. my whole purpose. You know, number two. And that is one, that is one of those. Just you, you brush past that as if that's something that yeah, oh, yeah, I just fly fighter jets. But you know, half the half the boys at fourteen want to fly fight, fighter jets. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a lot of people that want to do that, and there's a massive void between those that actually want to do it and those like yourself that have actually that actually did the work and got there and did it. And- mate, you can you can insert entrepreneur. You can insert. Doctor, you can insert anything into that fighter pilot box. Yeah. The mindset is the same. It's it's people that say I could never do that, and yeah. I know um, now as a as a mentor and speaking on the university circuit for aviation courses when I get a spare moment pre COVID, um, 
I would deliver like just a really entertaining keynote on being a fighter pilot and and what that meant to me afterwards as well, which had nothing to do with flying. And I had uh, six, you know, 18, 19 year old kids come up to me at the end and they said, oh, you know, I, I always wanted to be a fighter pilot, but I, I never thought I could be. And, and I repeated high school, right? Like I, I barely got through high school. Right. And they're like, you know, that I'm going to, I think I'm going to apply now. And they applied and all six of those kids got fighter jets. Wow. Just because they changed their belief that they could. Just changed the mindset. Yeah. Wow. That must feel great to know it feels that awesome. you, you've touched but them it, in that way and they've, they've gone on and done what their goal was to do. And that, it just reinforces to me the trick, right? I never ever thought at any point in time, no matter what my school marks were, no matter what was going on in my life, at no point did I ever think I wasn't going to be a fighter pilot. I was going to be one from right. the age of six. Okay. And, and it, you know, whether you whether you believe in manifestation or any of that stuff as well, which I, I have some belief in because my current partner and we're about to have a baby, I manifested, but it's a different story. That's, GID mindset there about my about my why was never in doubt. Yeah, okay. And it was never in doubt, and therefore everything I did, whether it was a failure, for example, uh, I rode first eight right at school, but I was number eight. And right. if I, you know, we we did like four qualifying races to get in there. So in the first race, if I came sixth, I'd be like, I need to come fifth if I want to be a fighter pilot, right. and I'd get fit. If I want to be be a fighter pilot, I got to get. So everything I did always, if I want that, I have to do the best I can do right now. And that means every day you're always doing that extra. You you, you don't notice it, but when when you get there and like I go to school reunions now and you you, you talk to your old mates and they're like, oh yeah, mate, you're the fighter pilot guy. It's all you've wanted to do. I remember that. Yeah. And then you got it. They're like, you're amazing. You made that very public and stuff like that. School that actually kind of everyone knew what you wanted to do and you did it. So you made it very public. It's almost like a, a social commitment. I'm going to be a fighter pilot. Yeah. And you know what? That that commitment also meant that if someone happened to ha- know someone in the Air Force, they would say, oh, yeah, that's, that kid wanted to be in the Air Force and they'd organize a meeting. So I got to meet a real life fighter pilot while I was at school. And it'd be like, yeah, wow. Cool. Or so I'd meet that- someone else and they'd, they'd get me a trip in a helicopter at an army base up in, up in Oki. You yeah, know? Okay. So. And that's critical, right? If 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 you singularly know what your it is and your why, and you constantly broadcast that unashamedly, people want to help, mate. Like, yeah, nice. by and large, people feel good helping you. If you're a simple person to help, in that I just happen to have a conversation. That person had something to do with the air force. I had a conversation like that with that kid. I'll put two and two together. I feel good. Boom. Yep. Nice. But if I didn't broadcast that with that lip. And, and that's marketing, mate. That's marketing right there is having brand, brand want to be fighter pilot and talking to that brand all the time in an unambiguous nature. Selling is the bit where you've got to influence in the moment to, to convince someone that you're, you're the solution to that problem. So how did you go? Because you had some health issues, didn't you, which is why you left the Air Force. I did, um, mate. I, how, did you go, how did you go with having manifested that for so long and that was what you wanted your identity to be and you had a big chunk of that? Take me through what happens when that gets dragged away by something that's out of your control. How did you, how did you tap into that resilience and stuff to be able to get through that? Timing is everything, right? So I think if that had happened to me during training or before I was qualified or in the first couple of years, I, I would have been more devastated than having flown for nearly eight years. So when it happened, 
it was it was it was disappointing, um, and it wasn't something that was out of the blue over a period of years. It's a degenerative condition. So over a period of years, something was going on, and then I finally got diagnosed and discharged. The only thing I could think of, you know, and this might sound a bit cliched, but the fighter pilot of business was an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. So I just went, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to get into business, but I want to be at the cutting edge of business. Um, and uh, and that's what I did. Uh, so I just started, you know, dial, it was dial-up internet then, mate. So I couldn't just Google how to be an entrepreneur, right? Right. Um, <laughs> and then pay $5 for a logo to become one. I had to go to a news agent and, and bought a book called Starting Your First Business for Dummies. Um, right. And 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 I uh, I kind of read a few pages of that, and not being particularly academic, I got to only got to about page four or five. Uh, and as I was flicking through the book, I think uh, something just stood out for me, uh, and it was a breakout box. And it said, if you're going to start a new business, you, you you've got to start somewhere where supply never meet demand, right? Right. Um, and I thought, well, in Australia, I, I've got nothing. I mean, there's there's no supply demand equation for retired fighter pilots. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a very you know bespoke job, and there's only one organisation you can work for. Uh, so I was like, where, where, what is an environment where I can find that metric? Uh, and it was only really Iraq or Afghanistan uh, at the time because they needed everything. Mm-hmm. You name it when it, when you've just come out of a war, <coughs> you, you need everything you can think of. That's when my uh, very good friend of mine at the time, who we met in England. Guy called Tom set up a company called Christian Thomas Group. It was only two of us, but we had lofty ambitions, and and we just moved to Afghanistan, mate, and started a business. First contract was two point eight million dollars. Doing um, what? Which was a, that first contract was providing uh, Nepalese Gurkhas for security on a road that was being built between Kabul and Kandahar. Right. Um, but it gave us a foothold into the market, and we diversified out of that into humanitarian projects because that security game was uh, private military contractors. All that stuff was a bit. There's a few cowboys involved in that. Yeah, and it's very, you know, you've got to be American or, or British to be in that market because their government is set up for it. Aussies, Aussies don't really do that stuff, mate. Yep. Um, and he was South African. So, yeah, and that, that company just boomed, mate, and just grew and grew and grew and grew. And so uh, you're on your way. Yeah, and then I sold out of it, came to Australia and did a bunch of other stuff. So um, I started a company. We built a hotel in Perth, and at the end of that, I started to realise that, I can do the entrepreneur stuff. Like I can, again, it, there's a bit of a habit. There's a, there's a learning the hard way. There's a bit of a rhythm to it. And the rhythm is figure out what it is and yep. then the baby steps to get there. Uh, get it done. You'd remember from um, the, the Afterburner program you saw about that debriefing process mm-hmm. uh, where every day you check in and you say, well, where, where was I meant to be relative to the goal today? Where am I? Why is there a gap? Uh, I'm going to and do something tomorrow to close it. So you're always biased to action. Right. Uh, and um, and it was after that I started to get a lot of people were talking to me and they're like, oh, man, you wait, you got to like share your story or or do something. And uh, I started to think, well, maybe I'll become a life coach or a coach because I, you know, mm-hmm. I've got nothing to prove anymore. I'm pretty comfortable. I'll try and give back somehow. And then um, through that, I discovered after Ben, I hadn't really heard of it before. And I acquired the local license for that for Australia. It's been around for 25 years, 16 years in Australia. And that for me, that was beautiful because it just joined all the dots up. Yeah, it would have. Uh, but it's also good that you're not just a fighter pilot going out and talking about fighter pilots. You've done the entrepreneurial things. You've done the business things as well. So your actual 
actually being able to come at it from both sides of the of the coin, yeah, which as, is which is pretty rare, I would imagine. And as an entrepreneur, being given the insight into multinationals and huge corporates, looking at it as a founder and owner, like I always think, well, what if I owned this bank or what if I owned this massive billion dollar company? Mm-hmm. So I think you derive really unique insights in in the behaviors that you're coaching and mentoring. Yeah. And, and and I think one of the one of the value adds for me is, you know, is is um I, I call it you know the founder's mindset, which is helping people understand what they're trying to achieve up there. Like they're mm-hmm. not just they're not just trying to be difficult. Yes, they might be doing it not, not the best way. And yes, their leadership um style might might not be great, but at the end of the day, they're also serving someone. They're serving shareholders or serving a board. There's no one, you know, we don't live in an autocracy in Australia. Everyone answers to someone. So let's all kind of help each other out a little bit. And so much of this disconnected uh, culture in corporate world comes back to just a lack of basic planning, you know, right. and and then that debriefing, just just the ability for everyone to be open and honest about the stuff that they're not doing that well uh, or the areas that they find ambiguous or they're confused by and consciously work together to unblock all that. I love the simplicity of your debrief. They're just, what did I plan to get done today? What did I get done? Where's the gap? Yeah, that's um, it. That is a debrief right there. But then there's also, what did I plan to get done? Yes, I got it all done. Let's have a bit of a celebration and well done me. And that's going to that's going to make you want to do it again tomorrow. And I want to I well, want to then hit those goals every day. Yeah, and a gap is a gap's not negative. A gap is positive or negative. Like mm-hmm. you might have a you might have a huge gap the other way and go. Yep. How how did I get how did I get five leads today? You know, yep. I, I'm aiming for five a month. Yeah. So okay. let's debrief that. Let's go back into that. And otherwise, you just spend your whole time analyzing everything, looking at everything, rather than picking up the the peaks and troughs where the real lessons are. Yep. Um, and I, I that seeing that debriefing culture take root, like I, I work with a small company that grew seven hundred percent in a year. Wow. And the only the only structural change they made as a small team was debriefing every day. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty profound, mate. I, I did um. A couple of keynotes for the Australian Radio Network, and there was a, a guy in his thirties there that heard it the first year. Then I delivered it the second year, and he was there again. And he came up after me, and he goes, "Your your last keynote got me off my couch." He said, "I was depressed. I I used to be in um, uh, event promotion, bringing bands into Australia, and and he said he had a bad run and a bad hit. But he said after the after the session, he just debriefed it that day, and he yeah. got off the couch that day. And a year later." He had his own studio. He was managing four bands and he was back into it. And I think nice. that's really important because a debrief brings logic to a situation that you may not understand or may, may emotionally hit you. Like my journey, like, you know, we met through, you know, a program called Thought Leaders and, and it's, it's, a, it's a community of people that have good things to say, but it's hard to say it. Like it's, I'm finding it, even though I've got this experience and knowledge, it's still hard. I still have to debrief every day and say, you know, I can't sit in front of an audience for 20 hours to tell my story. I've got to try and figure out how to say it in 15 minutes, in half an hour, in, in an hour. Yep. And that's hard. And that reminds me for leaders in big companies, they've got the same challenge. When you're trying to build strategy or executable chunks, you have to think of how to deliver it at, to eight people at the top of the company and 40,000 people across the company. Yeah, and every wow. one of those is a different way of telling a story. But when you commit to that process and you do it well, that, that's where you see great companies, great leaders achieving you know, great things. 
And when your book, when Get It Done comes out, is that the name of the book? The GID mindset. The GID mindset, getting it done. And 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 that's the basis of that, is that there's is that having the good plan and then executing and then debriefing. Is it kind Correct. of a three-step process? Having, it's it's having having a why. Yep. And sitting so above I, everything. So it's 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 about connecting the art of your idea, the the the, the dreamy piece to the science of day-to-day execution. That nice. that's key. Um, so you've got that artistic piece. Can you just say that for me again? Connecting the art. Connecting the art of the of the creative dream, the creative piece, the the thing when you close your eyes and you imagine it makes you happy. That's yeah. There's, there's no science there, right? It's just a it's just a creative space in your mind. Um, then it comes to execution. Now, a lot of people's execution of that dream is buying lotto tickets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is a pretty high risk way of getting there. <laughs> well, uh, it's not a high risk. It's just not a very high reward. No, well, the, it's, the it's, risk is small. You buy, you lose a little bit of money on your ticket, but the uh, the chances of winning are pretty small. Well, there's some interesting study about that too, because when you look at a little bit of money over an entire lifetime, it's a lot of money. Yeah, um, okay. If you put twenty bucks into the lotto every week, your your whole life, and win, you know, two grand, it's not it's not a great metric. So, so what I where I come to is, is what my mind is. Well, don't buy the lotto. Invest that in yourself, right? Yep. And and that's the, that's um, I, I call it the the want plan do. The closer the plan is to the want, the further we pull that down to what we can do in a day, magic happens. So when we when we can bring want planning and doing as close together each and every day, then we get a lot done. So when we talk about the creative space, the want is huge. It might be a four million dollar home. It might be it, it's big, right? So the, the, the plan for that needs to be in the context of today. So we've got to plan something small and do it. We need to manage the want. So what do I, what do I want to achieve this week? I, I want to uh, read a book about positively geared house um, property investment because I believe that's going to set me on my pathway to create value in a property portfolio to own a $4 million house. So, so my, I, I want to read a book this week. Yep. Which a lot of people want to do and then they never do it. Yep. So then you've got a plan, and which is to say, all right, well, I'm just going to give myself an hour a day to get through that book. Okay. And then you do. And you I'd do even that. get a I'd even get a little bit more granular with I just want to spend an hour a day. I, I'd even go like I I read it for an hour a day every day, but I do it on an exercise bike at five o'clock in the morning. And so yeah, to great. be a, to be able to sort of even get a little bit more more granular with what you're going to do and be able to say, I'm going to do this. After I brush my teeth, I'm going to pick up a book and I'm going to read it on the outside balcony and I'm going to stay there for an hour. When you make That's it true. more and granular, that- it actually it actually makes it more likely to get done. And it's funny, isn't it? Because it's, I, I like reading like either lying outside on, in the sun on a couch or on a couch, right? Yeah. But if it's if it's a work day, I have this stupid guilt thing that kicks in, which is like, you can't sit on a couch and read, mate. It's it's work day. You you need to do. That's yep. that's an irrational thought, right? That there's no logic to that. The 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 uh, the want is reading the book. The mm-hmm. do I'm getting myself into what I call the do loop, which is mm-hmm. just overthinking the do, right? right? Rather than just if if that's what you want, you want to sit on a couch, read a book for an hour, do it, okay. right? Do it that way. If you want to read a book for an hour and you want to do it on the exercise bike, do it. Right, and that's that's key because this 
you know, the cognitive mind processes anywhere between 25 and 80,000 thoughts a day, right? Depending on, on the research. Mm-hmm. People who are successful have less thoughts per day. Right. The, the people who meditate, people who are more measured and contemplative uh, yep. sit around the 25 to 30,000 mark. Right. Everyone else who's on social media and whose life is chaos and reactive, yep. they're up around the 80,000. And guess what? 80,000 thoughts an hour is tiring. Yeah. 25 and none of them get done. Yeah, nice. It's almost a less is more principle, isn't it? And that's one of the keys to the 400% is, is that they do less. Right. They do less. And by doing less, they do more. And when you say less, they do less watching TV. They do less being on social media. They do less getting pissed in the bar till 4 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. They do less of the unproductive things and more of the productive things. But the productive things that they do are rewarding. Yeah, so rather nice. than get the cheap dopamine reward hit, they get the meaningful oxytocin, serotonin yep. hits that drive ongoing sustainable success. Yeah, nice. Nice. <laughs> Mate, it sounds like your, your programs are amazing. How come how, if, if I'm running a medium business or a, or a business and I want to get you to come and talk to my people, how do we get hold of you? Uh, the set piece stuff like we did with you, uh, mate, the Afterburner programs is afterburner.com.au. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more esoterical GID brain stuff uh, is something I do in my own practice, uh, and that is at callmeboo.com. Callmeboo.com. Sounds like a great way great way to get in time. Mate, thank you very much for coming on here. I love your insights into, into getting it done, and I love your insights into, into how to actually red team and your – the thing you had with the being able to debrief and work out what you've done and where and how you've done it during the day is just yeah I'm taking that with me all day long today. Thank you very much for coming on the Reset Podcast, and we'll see you again soon. Awesome, Luke. Thanks for having me, mate. It was a real pleasure.